The Movie Bunker podcast is sponsored by Unity Brewing Co. Unity is a brewery committed to making flavorful, sophisticated, and innovative beer. Their brewing methods combine traditional and modern techniques with a focus on elevating humble ingredients, always unfiltered and unpasteurized. Their beers are natural, flavorful, and vegan friendly. Unity is a six barrel brewery based in Southampton in the UK, and they're proud to be one of the growing number of breweries in the city and play a part in Southampton's booming craft beer scene. They have three beer tiers that core limited and seasonal and you can check all these out on their online shop so visit unitybrewingco.com have a look and place an order that's unitybrewingco.com hello and welcome to the movie bunker episode 25 a quarter of a century of podcasts yeah <laughs> I'm very grand indeed. It's me, Matt. Hey, it's me, Chris. Hey, Chris, what have you been up to? <laughs> yeah, so I spoke to Joe Simpson, and Joe Simpson is a very talented artist, uh, does a lot of cinematic paintings and, and some really exciting projects on the go at the moment. And we have a good chat about that, and we talk about his movie Guilty Pleasure, which is Batman and Robin. So enjoy. Bat nipples. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Movie Bunker podcast. It's Chris and today I'm delighted to be joined by Joe Simpson. Joe Simpson is a, what we would be described as a figurative uh, painter. His paintings have been shown both nationally and internationally, uh, including amazing venues such as the National Portrait Gallery, Royal Albert Hall and House of Commons, no less. Hi, Joe, and welcome to The Bunker. Hello, Chris. How's it going? Good to be. Yeah, really good, thanks. Very good. Happy to be on. Fantastic. Now, you, you understand the premise of the uh, podcast, right? We're here to talk about stinkers. Yeah, critically <laughs> panned movies. I've got, I've got a treat for you. Brilliant. Well, we'll get to that in a second. But what, what, how would you describe your, your work and your sort of painting style? Well, I kind of use the term cinematic paintings. They're oil paintings, very realistic. I try and make them look like a movie still. So they're mm. kind of lit very cinematically and uh, yeah, really try and give it the flavour of a, a film still. And how did that style or how did that, your vision for that kind of subject come to light? Well, I, I think it was at university probably. I just started to, uh, you know, paint quite realistically and I was really interested in trying to make it look like a film still. I like the idea of trying to push a narrative element that it looked like a painter could tell a story. So mm. I started doing that at university. And now I'm working on a project that's very movie-based, where it's painting uh, actors, British actors, where they're in their dream role. So I ask them, what would you always like to have played, but have never played before, and then paint them kind of in that role. How did that come about? How did that sort of seed grow? Well, I'd, I'd done quite a few projects outside uni. And the first project I did was very movie-based, so it's called Almost There. And it was kind of a story that I made up with lots of different paintings that, uh, linked together to kind of a road movie and it had a soundtrack put to it. So I was kind of putting together these projects that are self-contained and I really wanted to paint actors and I thought it would be interesting rather than just to paint a straight portrait of them that it would be interesting to see them as a, a character in a film. Who have you had so far? So Paddy Considine was the first actor that I've had and he chose One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest which is really, you know, an amazing movie. I absolutely love that. I have painted Olivia Coleman, Michael Sheen, Warwick Davis, uh, Matt Lucas, Charlie Cox, John Sim. So I've done nine at the moment, and the idea is to do 12 in total, so I've got three more to do. Are they secret? Uh, well, it's, it's a little <laughs> difficult, because 
I feel a bit egg on my face if I say it and they don't come off. Like I've spoken no, no. to quite a few actors and it's difficult sometimes just to pin them down. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, I'm trying to adjust the, uh, address the gender balance at the moment. I've got right. way too many guys. So I'm trying to get more females. But they seem a little bit more reluctant to join up. So I've got Olivia Coleman and Gugu Mabatara at the moment. So I've got a really high caliber. Mm. Um, so I'm trying to get more females. But it, it seems a little harder for whatever reason. I suppose we're we're a bit more vain, I guess. Maybe we just like the idea. Maybe, of having maybe guys just jump at it. Yeah. How did you? <laughs> how did you get hold of the? How, how did they? Did some of the actors uh, approach you? Having seen some, a, of a couple have gone that way, but it's generally because the paintings are so time consuming. Like I spend about two months on each piece. I really want somebody that I'm a massive fan of, or somebody that I really want to paint because it's such a you know, a time investment. Uh, so it's mainly, yeah, people I'm just a massive fan of uh, and would like to meet. So I generally, well, Paddy Constant, I got put in touch with a friend of a friend and then that was a knock on. He gave me Olivia Coleman, who then called me up, which is really exciting. And then Twitter has been really good for getting to people like Matt Lucas and Warwick Davis. Yeah. But sometimes it's just going through and looking through agents and trying to go through that way, which is a little harder. When I first sort of saw some of the artwork on your your Twitter feed and that, I, I, initially I thought I recognised the scene, but then recognised the actor and couldn't quite figure out what it was I was seeing, you know, in front of my eyes until I looked at the there's a stills together in in sort of the like the gallery, if you like, on like your online gallery. It really made sense in terms of a whole like piece of work. They're fantastically like almost photorealistic aren't they i guess yeah yeah well i'm trying to make it, them feel very super stylized so they're almost like movie posters for a film that isn't made so they're yeah not supposed to be just dropping that actor into a scene so that it kind of reinvents it slightly mm. so that it's what would happen if that actor played that role how might that look or how might i choose to kind of paint that they, they are really you know quite realistic i put a lot of detail and do a lot of cinematic tricks so i make things look more blurry in the background and yeah. you know they have a photographic element to them but i think when you see the paintings they have a physicality like a, a painting texture to them which mm. maybe you don't see when you see them on a phone or a your website so it'll be i guess that's the the, the problem of uh, looking at stuff on a smaller screen is you don't get the benefit of seeing the you know up close and personal and almost feeling the texture of the paint as you say yeah that's what i'm, I'm gonna finish this project this year so it's gonna start uh, exhibiting in january 2020 and uh, i'm really excited for people to actually see the actual paintings because uh, i've been working on it for about four years now oh wow uh, so yeah, it's been a real passion project, like a labour of love. The other um, project that you had recently was the figures. Is it figures? Was it? Was that right? Called? Yeah, it was called figure painting with the, the toys. Cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was yeah. I took a bit of a, a break, and uh, it started when I was going through my um, my grandparents' attic and found all my old toys. So I did a series of paintings based on these action figures um and lego figures and things like that and there were little still life portraits of those figures which is really fun to do and absolute you know nostalgia trip oh it was almost like looking at my toy box you know 30 years 30 40 yeah. years ago it was yeah, amazing all the, the batman thundercats teenage mutant ninja turtles real like <laughs> 80s 90s proper toys <laughs> yeah Man, i loved it what's your film that you've chosen to talk and discuss about okay well yeah, I definitely thought I want to go for something really bad, like quantifiably dog mug, because I thought it's easy <laughs> to think of guilty pleasures and things that might be like, 
you know, actually quite good. But the film that I picked was Joel Schumacher's Batman and Robin, the 97 one. My name is Freeze. Learn it well, for it's the chilling sound of your doom. This is the way the world could end. Please, show some mercy. With ice. With a kiss. With venom. I probably should have mentioned this. I'm poison. Poison ivy. And the only man who can stop them. I freeze. I'm Batman. Can't do it alone. Batman will watch his beloved Gotham perish. Bundle up, boys. There's a storm coming. Kill the heroes! It's the hockey team from hell! Cool party! Arnold Schwarzenegger. All right, everyone, chill. George Clooney. Julian of the marrying kind. I know you've had your wild nights. Good night. Wild doesn't doesn't quite cover it. Chris O'Donnell. I want a car. Chicks dig the car. This is why Superman works alone. Uma Thurman. So many people to kill. So little time. Alicia Silverstone. And you are? Batgirl. That's not awfully PC. What about Batperson? Found the Batcave. She knows who we are. Guess we just have to kill her. Yep. In Joel Schumacher Phil. Strength. And courage. Partners. Honor. Partners. And loyalty. It all comes together. We're going to need a bigger cave. Batman and Robin. Oh, man, it's pretty bad. I think everybody involved with it has kind of apologized afterwards. I think it's definitely the worst Batman movie, but I got it on Blu-ray recently and watched it and I did find things I liked about it. What things can you draw out of this film that you really enjoy? Because the cast is inspired, I guess, for yeah, the time. George Clooney should make a good Batman, right? Yes. Well, when he was announced as the new Bruce Wayne, I thought, actually, that really works, because he was quite a hot property at the time. Yeah, coming up on ER. Yeah, yeah. He's even got the same haircut. <laughs> and actually, he does the kind of smouldering kind of uh, philanthropist uh, quite, quite well, I think. Totally, totally. No, it should all be good. It's got a, a, the full cast there. But I think, well, it was just made as a toy advert was the problem, wasn't it? It was apparently before it was really fast-tracked after Batman Forever. Mm. And uh, George Schumacher said it had to be toyified, where they got involved in making the Batmobile and everything. So it felt like just a stinking toy advert. The the sets, like the grand, amazing sets, like it has a real physicality to it that lots of CGI films now and things don't, where they're so intricately produced. This looks like it's on a soundstage and they're Mm -hmm. kind of gargoyles, art nouveau, like real noir film. Like it's got a real physicality to it. Like it looks bonkers, but it's, 
pretty impressive. The sheer kind of grand, as you say, the grandiousness of of of, of that. Um, you can see them physically making either the model sets or the or the practical sets themselves, and that's the the, the big difference we have. There's such a leap that movies have taken in the last sort of ten twenty years, where we know now when we're looking at these kind of scenes on screen that there's blue screen involved or green screen, and and the actors are you know propping themselves up against you know emptiness. But this yeah, has feel real does it it doesn't have a weight to it that kind of whenever anything happens in scene in this film and and perhaps the, uh, similar the one before it batman forever uh was it the val kilmer one with uh yes yeah um, yeah jim will uh, there is some yeah. real um you, you, you see that the sets wobble and flop and uh, flop around because yeah. the, the materials that they're using aren't obviously aren't on aren't real materials, they're kind of polystyrene or what have you. So when there is action, it just looks rubbery, doesn't it? It has that whole kind of fake yeah. feel to it, which you don't get now. You get you get the reverse of, or the opposite of that, I guess. Yeah, some of the, uh, like, Poison Ivy's little henchman gorilla suits look so cheap, but they, you know, you can see they're further, but they look cheaply made. But apparently, yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger's costume, but apparently he had to have little lights in his mouth to make his, mouth glow i remember yes and apparently it was it cost like five thousand dollars an hour i read uh, the, uh, <laughs> uh, sorry five thousand dollars a minute uh to kind of change these because he was paid a ridiculous amount. he was paid 25 million dollars for this movie for 25 shoot days wow <laughs> and like a day. how what do you think of um arnold's turn as as mr freeze <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got some honker lines, isn't he? It's so it's so campy and ridiculous. Like, uh, yeah, but terrible. The, the story of of Doctor Victor Freeze is that fries, freeze. fries, fries, freeze. Yeah, um, he he basically turns to crime to keep his his wife cryogenically frozen. Cryogenically. So, in the Batman animated series, if this is getting quite geeky, I'm quite a Batman fan. But they did uh, an episode. Uh, Mr. Freeze Dumbbell where it's really saving his wife Nora and it's done in this very somber low-key kind of really gothic way and it's amazing but this is just like a high camp ridiculous uh, silly lines like let's kick some ice you know, so yeah. that what killed the dinosaurs the ice age he's got yeah the best lines the Iceman cometh if anyone's not seen this film and you're a Batman fa- fan I mean you've got to seek it out just to see polar opposite to how that character is yeah yeah. we'll talk about maybe other batmans uh, a bit later on but the the character has taken such a a a change as it's made such a change from what we see in this film to what we get now it's um, yeah well i think what i really like about batman is he's such a malleable character that you can do it high camp really well like the 1966 tv show batman did that brilliantly. It was very knowing and it was quite smart about it. Or you can do it super dark and gritty, like Frank Miller comics and things like that. Mm. But Batman and Robin doesn't quite know where to sit. I think that it isn't quite as knowing as the 66 or or as dark, you know. It was a bit of a career killer for, I think, some of the actors involved in it because I know um, Alicia Silverstone was hot on hot property yeah. almost, and then this kind of film, I think, pretty pretty much killed her in terms of her acting career. Is that right? like. much after this? Well, no, I mean, I you, a bit of slating about a weight, which is quite weird. Yeah, well, there's always that horrible backlash, uh, horrible uh, vitriol in, in, in Hollywood about things like that, which uh, yeah. you know, I never understand. But 
Chris O'Connell, sorry, Chris O'Donnell, beg your pardon, who played yes. uh, Dick Grayson and Robin. He's, um, where's he now? Just does TV, I guess. Uh, I think he does a CSI or something. CSI, yeah. that's right. And Uma Thurman, yeah. Uma Thurman was this, and she was like really off the back of, I guess, Pulp Fiction, still riding that wave, I would have thought, and Kill Bill yeah. and things like that. Had Kill Bill actually come out before this? I'm trying no, to think. No, no, I think no, that's no. quite a bit later. Well, killer cast for the time. Like, it should have been excellent. Like, it got a lot of promotion. You know, yeah. I heard that the interest was so much that it, the paparazzi, what a, if you could get a paparazzi photo of Mr. Freeze's outfit, it mm. was worth $10,000. Wow. And then it came out. Well, so what was your second <laughs> thing that you enjoyed? Uh, oh, second, the score. I've said the music to it is the same as Batman Forever, huge, rousing, kind of orchestral, gothic choirs, things like that. Yeah. It's got a... Yeah, a style to it that you don't get in movies now. I think the music in all the Batman films is is something that's a really positive thing to take away from all of them because they're the sort of thing that you could stick on in the car and feel like you are yeah. Bruce Wayne or Batman driving in your, in your Batmobile. Well, the Christopher Nolan soundtrack, I can't remember who did it, was it? Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer, yeah, yeah. Amazing music for the Joker theme. And They've carried on that signature, haven't they, kind of pretty much throughout all yeah. That was amazing. I was obsessed with the Burton movies as a kid, but I was too young to go to the cinema to see them. So mm. I had like the Panini sticker book of Batman Returns. Yeah. That I collected and filled to the point where you actually have to ring up a, a call line, an order line to order specific, you know, stickers. Before I'd even seen the movie, I kind of knew everything about it. It was such a massive buzz around that film. It was the first 12A, if I remember right, Lee, as well, the first yeah. 12. Because um, my brother and I didn't see that one, but we certainly saw Batman The Returns, is it? The Michelle Pfeiffer one with the penguin? Yeah, that's the one. That's the one I wasn't allowed to see. Maybe I was too young and my parents were too strict. That was dark as well. The, the real typical dark middle film. Yeah, I've watched that one recently and it's got some weird, uh, like Danny DeVito as the penguin, sort of yeah. innuendos. They're like, this is no place in there for the tone of the movie. <laughs> but I think there's something, oh, it's so Tim Burton, isn't it, in terms of his gothic style. Yeah. He really, I mean, a fantastic director. Uh, maybe I wouldn't say some of the recent stuff he's done has been on a par with some of his earlier work, but the completely right director to get involved in that franchise and, and uh, you know, breathe life into yeah, it. Yeah. It's such an amazing world that they build, those original movies, like the sets, the, the feel, the style. It's amazing. And more inspired casting. <laughs> Who's your go-to Batman then, so far, out of all the sort of uh, actors that have played this the role? Could be a geeky answer, but I quite like the Kevin Conroy voice of the Batman animated series. Like, I watch so much of that. That's all, almost a defining voice. Yeah. But, uh, on film, it would uh, Christian Bale. It's got to be just because those movies are so amazing. Is, would you say that 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 franchise or that version of that franchise is your is your favourite out of all the Batman? I think it's the quantifiably like best version, like the Dark Knight. <laughs> incredible. Like, yeah, I think so. Like, I've still got a lot of soft spots for the Burton movies because you know you watch them as a kid. Yeah, but I think as as quality as substantial, you know, proper films. Yeah, it's got to be them. I think Michael Keaton should come back in as to play old Bruce Wayne. That would be, and bring in someone 
potentially unknown to do is it nightwing who that robin turns into or am i getting my yeah or they they even did a batman beyond so it's in the future so he's a proper old man batman and he's got a young terry mcginnis a young new batman in a futuristic world that'd be really good because he's got some real uh chops on him i was like michael keaton yeah keaton's amazing and he's he's having a, a renaissance right he's yeah yeah a lot of stuff now he was really good in the Spider-Man, the new Spider-Man, or the latest Spider-Man yes. film. With it, he does a really good, like, likable villain. He he just seemed to yeah, you know, he was he, great. He that can, had the best villain, I think. Uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming, the best Marvel villain they've done. It was kind of Nolan-esque in terms of uh, being utterly believable, uh, and uh, very similar in terms of um, Warmonger of the Black Panther film recently, where they've mm. actually you can actually you know not feel sorry for but you can either get you can kind of get behind why they do what they do and how they you know what what it means to them yeah to you give them a bit of motivation and that's always missing when you've got the likes of mr freeze or danny devito yes. waddling around doing yeah, i don't know what any of those characters want mr freeze or poison ivy and this film had it had bane in it as well you know later played by tom hardy but he's just a sort of over pumped up wrestler zombie if anything uh you know they should have probably put arnold schwarzenegger in that role yes that and put, sense. it would have been a bit more obvious i guess and and maybe get someone else to do but this this stuff suffers as well i think from i think something that um a lot of the modern uh, day uh superhero films have is having too many characters and too many villains yeah i mean that's big criticism with the batman movies isn't it mm-hmm. the early ones that batman's only a very minor character in it certainly like batman returns it's a it's a long while till you see batman same with dark knight rises really he becomes sidelined slightly for the other characters if you dilute batman you don't really get i mean what everyone's come to see and i think introducing yeah. robin was probably one of the worst things they could have done as well and then that, <laughs> that girl. i would like to see a new version with a proper robin done though who would you because, cast yeah oh robin <laughs> put you on the spot no I don't know um, it's a difficult one because yeah, no. yeah 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 I've just watched Escape from Dan Norway so okay that would work uh, I guess yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was your third thing that you could take from this film oh yeah so the handling of Alfred because Alfred's played by the same character Michael Goff who's the only sort of link between all those movies the Burton ones and forever and they do a sort of dying bit with him that's actually quite nicely done and it's nice to see that character have an arc so i quite like the alfred stuff it's a shame they, they it's it's a little bit too too late i think to introduce that kind of poorly alfred uh shtick because they could have re- introduced this sort of two or three years ago and had a slow burn and then yeah. it would have meant a bit more on this on this film that he was actually yeah. and then actually and kill it's him. Totally, it's totally quite jarring as well. That it's, it's so yeah. hard camp pulling out a back credit card and then you've got a, a dying father scene. They should have killed him. That would have been. I mean, or at least have him yeah. die off. It would have probably added a bit more weight. I guess it's going too far the other way. But he is essentially. I um, think it's a toy commercial, isn't it? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, yes, like a, a proper death in it. But he's he's saved by some of Mr. Freeze's weird blue stuff. <laughs> yeah. <I laughs> what is that stuff? <laughs> I don't think the script writers thought that far. No, because the, he got it. He's got this um, 
wow, it's not a dying scene, but Mr. Freeze is kind of done over and uh, Bruce Wayne pleads with him to save, do something good with his life and finally, and he's going to yeah. help, help him out and keep his, his wife alive or can, has found a way to save his wife. And then can, in return, can you do us a favor and help uh, the old butler out? And so Mr. Freeze <laughs> is able to sort of bring uh, like a little syringe or something, a, a, a vial of blue liquid out from his suit and and that saves now now that you're explaining it to me i i feel less <laughs> happy about the alfred <laughs> i i might uh take that off i've got two things the music and the set. no you shouldn't backtrack joe i mean you know come on you're okay. just the thing um i think you're right but in terms of uh the little signs of Alfred being poorly, he kind of takes a few, a few moments to himself in the early part of the film where he's struggling with his health. And yeah. um, maybe it's just nice to have some sort of slow, more uh, yeah. thoughtful scenes. Bruce and Dick are so selfish in this film. <laughs> they don't even... Yeah, nobody's likable. No, and they don't really, they don't seem to care about poor old Alfred. I mean, he does come across as being, he's very elderly in this film. So <laughs> they're just uh, getting, getting him to yeah. run around ragged after them. Out of all the Batmobiles, this is the worst one because he seems to be in some sort of open, open cockpit type. Kind of like there's a disco going on inside <laughs> it, isn't it? I think that's, I think that's definitely a part, uh, the Warner Brothers getting in on the toy market first and saying here would be a cool toy, put that in the film. It's bizarre, but my favourite Batmobile would be the original from the the original Batman with Jack Nicholson. Some of those effects on that film was kind of stop motion, I guess, is how they probably filmed that armorizing of his, uh, of his Batmobile. It was so cool. And I had the stickers of it before I actually saw it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about the latest kind of incarnations of Batman, like uh, the Ben Affleck's take on it? Uh, so I thought Ben Affleck was actually a really good Batman, but the movies were nonsense. They were really just... Yeah, it didn't work. Batman v Superman, you just didn't buy. The story didn't make any sense why they would fight, and it was so dreary. And I really wanted to like it, but I just couldn't. But I think he makes quite a good Batman. And Justice League was nonsense as well. Yeah, they're struggling, aren't they? The casting of um, of Batman in terms of uh, of that those two films, so I think it was as you say, it was pretty good. And and of all yeah, the, I think he makes a solid Batman. He's got the right kind of jawline. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What do you think the future of Batman is on screen then? Because we're, we're going to reboot it again, surely, because I don't think yeah, he's signing off anymore. Uh, well, it's, it's unclear, isn't it, whether he's doing them. But I know Matt Reeves is making a new Batman movie, uh, but they're talking about recasting it. But there's been lots of rumours of who would play it. There's like Kit Harington's been floated, Jack O'Connell. Uh, I think they're going for a younger kind of take. I would like to see John Hamm do it. I think he'd be a really good Batman. Yeah, no, I agree. The other chap that they talk about a lot is Oscar Isaacs. Yeah, he'd be good. I'd be on board with that. To cast it younger probably would be a good idea because then you've you've given the franchise a bit more legs. They're definitely going to do this Matt Reeves one. And Warner Brothers, yeah, they're obviously coming back a little bit because they were trying to do the shared universe thing, weren't they? Yeah trying to make interlocking movies and now I think they're just making more director-led individual standalone pieces but I quite like the idea of an older grizzled Batman What do you think about the Joker then? Because he's probably one of the, the, the most iconic DC villains Movie at the moment aren't they with um, Joaquin Phoenix am I saying that right? You are yeah yeah so Joaquin Phoenix and apparently early early kind of reports are saying that he's, he's doing he's done a pretty good job Yeah I'm pretty excited it, it's 
you've seen the uh, the makeup. It seems odd to make that movie without Batman, but I'm I'm totally on board. Like I'm really interested to see what they do. It's got Robert De Niro in it, isn't it? Mark Maron, and it looks you know all the right ingredients. It just it it seems odd that that's what they'd go in, but I'm in. But um, Heath Ledger, would you say he was probably stands out as your best or favourite yeah. Joker? No, oh, yeah. Yeah, he's amazing. I think everyone agrees. Like Mark Hamill does a good job on the animated series, but Heath Ledger's performance is just uh, amazing. He's, you just can't take your eyes off him when he's on the screen. He, he has like a, a shark that appears on the screen, just absolutely dominates violence. It's brilliant. There's some such really good uh, method acting apparently that went into that. Not not like um, the other chap, Jared Leto. That that was weird, Jared Leto's version, wasn't it? Yeah, apparently he sent like dead rats and things to <laughs> to his castmates. The actual movie only ended up for about six minutes, didn't he? Which seemed an odd uh, depth to go to. I think he was pr- he was pretty unhappy as well, wasn't he, about the 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 edit? Yeah, I think he. I think he expects a much bigger role. And it's right, it would have been more interesting to see more of him. Like I, I really didn't like the, the baddie of that that was a CGI kind of, yeah, nameless faces. Would have been better to have a, a main baddie. I think this, this film should be seen by any Batman fan because it will prove to you how lucky we are. <laughs> Yes. And nowadays that we've got what we have. Absolutely. Uh, it's a shame about the cast, but I mean, to be honest with you, they probably got paid handsomely with it, uh, for it and everything, and they could probably look back with fondness. And it will probably, as you Gosh. say, be one of those films that, you know, will always be watched as a, or will always be deemed as a camp, camp classic. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> one of the worst, I think. People agree it's one of the worst movies ever. Ever. Well, thanks, Joe. And uh, what, can, what can people see you doing next? Or where can people see your, your art and, and stuff that you're doing? Well, you could follow me on Twitter or Instagram, Joe Simpson Art, or Facebook, Joe Simpson Artist. And then next year, in 2020, I will start uh, touring the actor paintings. They're going to be shown at different theatres and art galleries around the country. So hopefully that will be a good thing. Yeah, it's amazing stuff, uh, Joe. Really, really enjoyed it. And thanks ever so much for talking to us. Okay, cheers. Yes, that was a cracking interview. That was a good interview. Very interesting guy, Joe Simpson. Yeah, and a great film. Mm. (laughs) So I challenged you to a top five. You did, you did. And I had to think long and hard about this one, Chris. It was a tricky one you posed me. Tricky one. So I had to do the top five TV programs that I wanted to see into made into a film. So this was uh, this was interesting to me because a lot of TV we watch these days in good TV is so high quality values and stuff these days. They actually would gain nothing from being converted into cinema because, you know, uh, the production values, the quality of the actors, uh, the budgets for TV shit these days is huge. Yeah. You know, Game of Thrones, True Detective, they've all got multi-million pound budgets and stuff. So it's not something. And also a lot of them are almost derivative of of films that have been made, but they've just expanded on them and made them bigger and better. You can see a True Detective is from Seven. Game of Thrones is from Aragon. (laughs) (laughs) Lord of the Rings. <laughs> so yeah, so it was um, it was tricky. So then I had to sort of um, go back and uh, <laughs> actually that's, that's a clue to my first one. We need to go back, Chris. We need to go back. 
Oh. Oh. Yes. So, uh, yes, my first TV series that I want to see made into a film is Lost. No way. Way. Yes, Lost. The reason for this is, Chris, Yeah. I loved Lost. It was the kind of the first big TV event that I was involved in, I think. There was, like, people before would watch TV. People before me <laughs> would watch TV, and I would watch TV, and there would be things that you'd watch, things that'd be on, but there wasn't any real sort of event, no sort of, you know, uh, for me, there was no... Like, oh my God, I need to watch next week's. Um, and Lost was that. The first two series of Lost had me hooked, hooked. And I yeah. watched the rest just out of sheer desire for it to be good. But through various reasons, the shrinking and growing of the seasons, um, the, the writer strikes, etc. Lost. It got lost. lost. It got lost. And it turned... the. I was physically angry <laughs> the last season and the last episode. I felt cheated and hurt. So I think if they made this into a film, like a two-hour film, they had a script with a beginning and an end, and they went from there to there, and then they didn't have smoke monsters and polar bears in between, then you'd have a really interesting and good film. I want the same cast back again. Wow, you're asking a lot there. But you, you, it's almost like a... Re- Am I? I don't think Matthew Fox is doing much. <laughs> no, it's like a, reden- a redemption then. You want them to, you know, yes. Lindelof to redeem himself from... It was such an anticlimax. And I'm, I'm, I'm definitely with you with Lost in terms of um, that and 24 are the first yep. serialised... Big event TV. Big event TV programmes before it really kicked off. Yeah, probably led to what I was talking about earlier, where the, the quality of it just ramped up massively so. Yep, yep, definitely. Um, That's a good shout. But what I think I really enjoyed was the cliffhangers of Lost. And I was wondering whether you, how you would incorporate that within a movie. So you'd have to think long and hard about that, Matthew. I think you could just have like different story threads. Yeah. And it leave one at a cliffhanger. You'd be like, fuck, no, don't cut now. I want to yeah. see that, man. I loved the fact that we saw statues, giant footed statues with four toes. I loved the fact you saw a polar bear corpse. I loved the whole brain computer thing and the comic book stuff. It was frigging amazing. Absolutely amazing. Massively disappointing. And I remember as well, because I was a massive geek, I was downloading the podcast as well, and you know, the Lost Initiative with Ian Lee, and it was di- di- um, dissecting each episode, and everyone yeah. had their fan-, fan theories. And the writers would say, it's not purgatory. It's not purgatory. Always, yeah. It was we the first promised you. out there. We promised it was it's not purgatory. And fucking purgatory, wasn't it? <laughs> they obviously just went... We got nothing. What are we going to do? Well, those fans—they did suggest purgatory. We can't do that. We can't. We told them it definitely wasn't purgatory. Yeah, they left the um, island, which was a big mistake, in my opinion. And the Dharma yeah. Initiative and everything about the mythology of it all, and the, the drip feeding of the videos, and everything was the lack of music, the lack of intro titles, never seen before. The 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 actual music in it was so emotive, and then. Um, pervade then in general society like everything after that had the same basic mm. composure of music even in computer games and yeah. uh, the trailers for things were just were just yeah so heavily influenced that and the sm- i know you go you, back 
you scoffed at the, pot, the the smoke monster there, but I think that was a great, a fantastic. Uh, I only scoffed in the sense that it was never fully, you know, realised or explained. Yeah, or fair enough. They, they just had them on the island and the smoke monster, and then it was all tied up at the end. I'd be happy. Even a trilogy of films, I'd be, I'd take that. I'd love to go back and rewatch it, but I can't. I can't. I just can't put myself through it again, knowing the disappointment. You can do it again, Chris. You need to. You need to go back. Do it. I'm going to watch your film, okay? Good one. Lost um, was actually um, was uh, was a replacement for Crossed Out one, which I put Baywatch on. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I like the film. I want to see a sequel, <laughs> so I put that one. <laughs> that that was that's not really one in there. So yeah, that got sort of number six or whatever. My next one, right, number four, is um, the IT Crowd. Oh, this is interesting. So, um, uh, English people probably know this, um, Americans maybe not so much, uh, but the IT crowd in my line of work and in, in my age group is just seminal, it's perfect, it's a, it's a perfect sitcom about uh, an IT department in the basement of this building and it's got such brilliant characters and the problem is, is that they are such brilliant characters and character actors that they've all gone on and been incredibly successful so the chances of them making another series of this is fucking impossible Rich Diawadi is on everything these days yeah. um, and he directs his own films Chris O'Dowd is in lots of Hollywood films he's not coming back uh, Matt Berry he does lots of stuff um, I heard that he's in a new series he's making, they're making a series of um, What We Do in the Shadows which is amazing so that's like yeah. the, the trailer dropped the other day on that looks good so the only chance of me seeing another episode of the IT crowd is if they go big budget make a movie out of it get those boys back in town <laughs> go to Hollywood chase Chris O'Dowd down get him out of fucking get shorty which he's brilliant in which is weird because he's a tough guy and he's yeah, have you seen this no if I haven't watched it back to back it would freak you out <laughs> oh really I must check that out then yeah no he's great in it he's really good would we sort of involve some big com- comedy directors? So like, you know, maybe J- Judd Apatow or someone like that to get involved in. I've got my theory. So it has to have the same writers mm. and some of the same cast, but dun, 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 to try and, you know, um, appeal to the large, larger market, you know, we've got to get the Americans on board. We can have the company bought out by a large American conglomerate and then transferred to America so fish out of water yeah I was just saying Moss that would work really well for Moss yeah work and then you could still have Matt Berry come over and even Berry would be sort of you know trying to get his company back in a sort of Mr Burnsy type of fashion very good I like that (laughs) one that's brilliant oh god I do that all the time I go go into my dad's house and go father (laughs) he hasn't got a clue what I'm doing (laughs) <laughs> number four is pretty good. You're very good at this. This is a good one. But number three. Number three, The Wire. Oh. The Wire. Now, this one I, I couldn't have earned about because I was like, oh, uh, should they make a, a wire? Because basically it's just a cop thing. But the reason I wanted to make a film is quite selfish. Is that I've, I've never watched The Wire. <laughs> oh, Really? No, I've never watched it, and there's just too many of them, and they're quite old now, so I don't want to watch it all. <laughs> so I'd like it if they made a film for me. 
selfish bastard. A little, little, little two-hour film, so then I can just get on board with everybody else and talk about how brilliant The Wire is. Well, Matt, actually, that. it would work as a a, a, a a trilogy in a way because you could follow McNulty's, you know, path as he was, you know, uh, his redemption. It's not really a redemption with McNulty. What happens to him? He's kind of an alcoholic. Uh, he's not a particularly good cop or detective. But yeah, no, yeah, I, I'm on board with that. And that has an amazing cast. So that would be brilliant if they came on back. And they're the same, exactly the same. The, all the people in the, in, the, in the Wire, most of them actually probably you've seen in other big hitting TV stuff or in film. So it's, it's doable. Lots of English people in there randomly as well, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, Ibris Elba, obviously the main one. Brilliant. Yeah, I so like yeah, that. I'd like to see that just so that I can, uh, <laughs> I can pretend I've seen the wire with everyone else. Um, a lot like uh, Firefly and Serenity. That was that was something for everyone. That was that was a good thing, see, because they got the, the series got canned. Uh, yeah, and yeah. They had a story to tell and they wanted to tell it, so they just whacked out a film, which was brilliant. Um, so there you go. There, there's that one. That was number. What was that? That's one, number three. Two, three. Number three. Do you want the next one? Number two. Number two. Staced. Oh God. Um, for very much the same reasons as the IT crowd, because you're not going to get these people in TV anymore. Simon Pegg's way too big. He's running around doing Mission Impossible films, for fuck's sakes. Did they not try and do space for, like, a, an American market at some point? They I'm tried like... to, yeah. No, they, they, it was, I mean, the IT crowd's got a brilliant um, pilot episode yeah. was, um, in America, which I, I, I don't think got aired anywhere. Um, space, there was lots and lots of talk, but it never, ever happened. And everyone was like, oh, fuck for that. It was so quintessentially English uh, um, to make it translate, you'd have had take it away and make it something else and you'd have been less with the five characters but um, again I want to see this made and um, it's selfish of me because the only way this is the only way you're going to get these people back on the same set is if it's enough money yeah (laughs) tempt them in because they're all super famous Jessica Stevens Mark Heap they're all they're all brilliant would you bring Edgar obviously Edgar Wright would have to come back to direct he's got to come back yeah and it could be what um, would it be set in like chronologically uh, they would be rejoining them in their later years yeah yeah just bring them back into the later years maybe have them fall back on hard times and have to move back in together or something Nick Frost's character wouldn't have moved on he'll still be in the flat yeah he'd still be there with the dog with the dog playing paintball I want to see that made and my last my last film that a TV series I want to see made um Quantum Leap. Oh. <laughs> I, I can't remember Quantum Leap ending. Did it end? Because I know it got fucking weird. <laughs> um, um, it kind of it was lost and just disappeared up its own arsehole for a I don't think while. I yeah, I don't think I watched enough of them to know. So I watched a lot of them, but I mean it was always something I would seek out and watch. Because obviously back in the day you could never re- Oh, I could never record it or find it in time to record it. I either because no, you, people would watch this shit out of order, and it yeah, was yeah, just yeah, yeah just so, it was constantly on. So, if you if no one knows the premise of Quantum Leap, explain the story because it's quite an old show. <sighs> There's a, an experiment that goes wrong in the far future. So, in the far future, um, the character um, Scott Bakula, he's not the character, he's the actor. I don't know if he's attempting time travel or something else, but he ends up time traveling, but not in 
the very simple way that you would imagine. So what happens is he's actually, his body is still mm. in the future, but his conscience and psyche um, is actually transported into different bodies. And like, um, like a lot of the TV series at the time, he has to help, help that person so that he can then move on. Hopefully, one point, jumping home. So all leaping, as they would call it, the quantum leaping. It's brilliant, isn't it? Well, it's a great concept for the time of the, when it was made. Yeah, and every episode would open, or uh, no, every episode would end and open with the same scene of him finding himself in a new body, looking at the mirror and going, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. He'd be a woman, he'd be an old man, he'd be an old yeah, woman. He has this kind of holographic assistant, Al. Is it Al? Yeah. Yes, Alan, Al. with, with Ziggy, or was Ziggy the name Ziggy of his little computer? Ziggy was a little weird, yeah, his little Hand-held computer. computer. No, they're there, they're, they, they could predict with smartphones. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. They knew, it would be sat there glued. He'd just punch the buttons really randomly. And, Beep, it go, and it would make a little noise, wouldn't it? You'd go, ow, ow, ow. Yeah. Amazing so, choice. Yeah. That's a brilliant shout, because that would totally work. Because you could have him jumping into various timelines. They could do it on a... Decent budget, decent like actor, Chris Pratt, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Pratt's on suggestion for everything. Chris Pratt or The Rock, maybe. <laughs> I would definitely work with uh, The Rock. He would definitely be able to do it. And then you could get, I don't know, Ian McKellen to be the little his hologram sidekick going, oh, <laughs> with his little computer. But yeah, no, it's got, uh, that is a fantastic shout, Matthew. That's great for top five. Yeah. I wasn't expecting you to come up with, with all that. There you go. I am nothing but surprising. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So you would watch all those films. Have I got? Uh, have I got a go on all of them? The only one I think maybe might, might be difficult would be uh, Lost. I think I think it's just too much content in there. But everything else, I'm I'm here for. In terms of just even just for great comedy actors coming back together on screen. There's a lot of selfish shouts in there for me. Yeah, but that's fine. I mean, that's why a lot of this stuff is made anyway, because, you know, it's a 10-year anniversary, 25-year anniversary or whatever. And it might, it wouldn't necessarily be, have to be a cinematic release. It could be a made-for-TV special. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, we should, we should rule that out. So yeah, Netflix have got, they've got bags of money, haven't they, Netflix? So they can... They could, they could definitely do it. And, you know, given, give Edgar Wright, like, freedom to do whatever he wants with the characters um, and wait till it's, like, 25-year anniversary or something, because it must be coming up to that. Bob's your uncle. Yeah, fantastic, Matthew. I've got to follow that somehow. So what shall I do now, then? Top five recasts. So films that have been made that you would recast as someone else. So, for example, instead of Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, the original Star Wars, you'd have Chris Pratt. <laughs> What recast uh, for, from an actor from the same time or from an any, with any person, anyone will any do. person. You're like a, a magical casting agent, and you can pull people from any time and place, yeah, and put them in this film. Write the wrongs of history, Chris. Okay, yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Thank you. I'll get I'll get onto that straight away. I've got nothing else to do. So thanks, Matthew. I enjoyed your top five. It's fantastic. And just a reminder again to our listeners to rate, subscribe and review if they want to and follow us on 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 twitter and facebook and instagram yeah yeah follow us <laughs> not like physically that'd be weird they might be able to find us where we live if i turn around and there's like a little rustle in the bushes i'm like just do it on twitter mate please let me poke you anyway. <laughs> don't turn if you see me in the street don't try and poke me <laughs> thanks thanks matt and I, we'll, we'll, we'll see you all next week then with another film yeah, it'd be a film, wouldn't it? I'll get confused. <laughs> it's all turns <laughs> timelines. Fuck me. See you soon, then.
Cheerio. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.